and welcome to First Take, a podcast ministry of First Reformed Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Assistant Pastor Jim Curtis, here with my Senior Pastor Brent Horan, to offer you our take this week on studying the Bible well. Uh, Brent, we're, we're back. We're talking about the Bible. We like to talk about the Bible. Um, today we're giving uh, some inside secrets, some inside baseball to our congregation on studying the Bible well. Hopefully we don't work ourselves out of a job today, but we'll see. Um, before we begin, though, I, I want to make sure that we understand what we're doing. Last week we talked about reading the Bible well, and we, we really focused more on maybe a devotional type reading or, or, or reading, you know, um, uh, for personal um, edification um, in those everyday type moments and, and staying in the, God, in, in the Word of God, right? But today we're talking about studying the Bible. How would you see studying the Bible as different than reading the Bible devotionally? Well, Jim, it's really good to be back. Um, obviously, it's always good to talk about the Bible. And that question, just kind of the difference between devotional reading and perhaps more of a, a studying of the Bible. You know, I think of devotional reading as something you're almost like plowing through the Bible. You're just sort of reading. You you have a schedule and you're working through it. Um, maybe you're taking um, the book of Psalms and you're saying, I'm going to read one Psalm a day, except for Psalm 119. You'll take multiple days to do that. Um, and you might just do that daily. Um, another part of the way we look at the Bible, we spend time in the Bible, is often what I will tell people is what we're talking about today is uh, how about diving into um, studying it? where we might say, you know, our, our daily devotions are, are a little shorter. Perhaps we take one day a week or whatever it is, and we sit down, perhaps with paper and pen, for 30 minutes or maybe a couple hours, whatever it is. And we say, we're going to have a deep dive into this passage or these few verses. Or we're even going to say, we're going to do a deep dive into this book of the Bible, and we're going to spend weeks kind of walking mm. through it. And so... Um, I think there's various ways. I think both devotional and more of the studying are very helpful, and they should mutually um, inform each other. And so that's just kind of the way I kind of see these two different things. Mm. Yeah, it's helpful. Um, I think it's very obvious, right? We, we've talked about studying the Bible and using journals and mm-hmm. highlighters and stuff. And, you know, we've got this new Not By Bread Alone series that we're doing. That's obviously a study of the Bible, right? So um, some of that seems self-explanatory. So today... In other words, we're, we're going to be getting into some of the more mechanical stuff, right? Um, <clears throat> some of the more um, uh, Sunday school type things where we're going through the Bible and uh, we're bringing a, a shovel, we're bringing a pickaxe, we're bringing these sorts of things to actually do the hard work and the mm-hmm. labor of, um, of determining uh, what the text is trying to teach us. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> um, to set this conversation then, I, I want to talk about three kind of categories in studying the Bible. Uh, context, meaning, and application. And just really quickly before um, uh, we begin, I just want to plug uh, David Helms' one-to-one Bible reading. That's where I'm kind of getting this scheme of context, meaning application. I'm modifying it from um, what's called the coma method of Bible study, the context, observation, meaning application. Since we're not looking at one text, I'm just kind of taking the observation piece out. But I just want to recommend that book to our folks. I think that book would be a helpful um uh, written resource for them uh, in thinking through Bible study as well. So I want to talk about those three categories then, context, meaning, and application. Now, uh, we both have talked about context before. We, we say things like context is hugely important. Some people have said context is king, right? Um, let's start there. What is context 
and why is that important? Um, what are some things that we need to consider when we consider the context of uh, passages of the Bible? Right. So I find context to be some of the uh, most helpful part of our study. It really uh, can bring to light some of the things in the passage that we aren't seeing on sort of the the first read as you're just sort of looking at a few verses or whatever it is. And um, just as an example, um, when Katie and I began uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we started looking through the book of Titus. And before we started reading it, we said, well, let's get some background on the book of Titus. Let's let's find out a little bit about what's going on when it's written. Obviously, we know it's Paul, but more about him, more about who he's writing to in some level, why he's writing to Crete uh, or to mm-hmm. Titus in Crete. And so, you know, one of the things we often tell people is, you know, you have a little study Bible. If, if there's if there's a few pages in the front that give you some background information, give you the, the context for the book, don't skip over that. That can be really helpful as you make your right. way through that right. book. And so, obviously, if we're doing context, we would look at the author. Uh, we think about uh, the purpose, the occasion, where is the author, why is he writing this, those types of things. And then we'll come to a discussion of... Um, we want to know the genre. Uh, what what type of writing in the Bible are we reading? So in Titus, we're reading letter. We're reading an epistle. We're reading mm-hmm. something uh, that Paul mm-hmm. sat down, wrote a letter to Titus, and there's a uh, it's a particular writing style. Um, other types of genre that we want to pay attention to, you know, you've got um, historical narrative. That would be something like like Genesis. You've got poetry. That's something like Psalms. You've got prophecy, which is sort of laid throughout the Bible. There's apocalyptic language, which is uh, a subset of prophecy. Uh, There's gospel. And all of these things, as you begin to approach uh, the Bible, understanding what it is you're about to read. You know, you don't read um, Revelation 20 the same way you read uh, Genesis 12. If you do, Mm -hmm. you will be confused. And so uh, those are just sort of highlights. where you would begin, I think. Right, and it seems fairly obvious, like, everywhere else, right? Like, you don't read um, a textbook in college, like a fiction book, Hmm. right? Um, Unless you're in literature class, I guess. Um, You don't, uh, you know, you you read certain books as what they're supposed to be, right? They're on their specific genre. Um, You know, we don't take um, these these epics of, like, the Iliad and the Odyssey and stuff as as literal history, Mm. right? We, we take them as what they're supposed to be. These, these fictional epics, um, that are kind of describing, um, uh, kind of this mythical element of why the world is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So then we approach the Bible and, and sometimes we, we kind of forget that 10th grade literature class where we learned about poetry. We learned about historical narrative. We learned about these sorts of things. Um, and, and we really can't do that because, uh, that's just how humans read. That's how literature functions in mm-hmm. the Bible as a piece of literature, as the best piece of literature really needs to be understood that way. Um, and everybody does, right? I mean, we don't take the Psalms, um, you know, quote unquote, literally, depending mm-hmm. on who we're talking to, right? right. Um, we understand them to be poetry and we read them as poetry. We don't read them as something else. Um, but uh, so that's interesting that you start there because I think when, when, I, when you and I say the word context in like Sunday school or in a sermon or something like that, um, I think a lot of people don't think of those things you just said. I think a lot of people would think um, what you and I would probably call immediate or broad context, right? We mm-hmm. say put the passage within its context, right? Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. What is the immediate context? What is the broad context? And how does that affect uh, how we study the Bible? Well, so I think uh, maybe 
Just a quick example. It might be the easiest way to, to think this through. Um, a verse that everybody's going to know, uh, John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world that he, began, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's a really well-known verse that is often um, quoted, um, perhaps often misunderstood on some level. Um, but the context for that particular verse comes in the context of a, of a conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. And so Mm -hmm. that verse does not stand alone as Jesus was just like standing on a mountain and said something and then walked away, right? He has a reason for saying this to Nicodemus, and that actually Mm -hmm. can be helpful to you to understand Mm -hmm. um, what that verse actually fully means. And then you can think of, you have John uh, chapter 3, John chapter 3, and all that's happening there comes in the context of an early part of John. And then you can say it also comes in the context of the whole book of John. And then you have the book of John that comes in the broader context or the broadest context of the whole Bible. And so thinking those things through, sort of telescoping out from this is the individual verse, and then having that verse in its own context, and then sort of telescoping out to the broadest context of the whole story of redemption uh, can just be helpful in understanding it and applying it and thinking it through. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that, that's when we would talk about, right, wor- certain words, right? Words right. Uh, within context. Um, you know, the the really famous example here, of course, is uh, since you brought John 3.16 to the table, the word world mm. in John, right? The word wor- world in John is not used the same way as world in other parts of the Bible, right? right? Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's important to understand, even for such a famous passage uh, as John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Um, it's important to understand, you know, Paul. We come across Paul. He's not necessarily using the word in the same way. Mm. Um, in fact, we would see more of a similarity between John's use of the word world and Paul's use of the word flesh, mm. right? Where there's this this contrast. Jesus says, "I'm not of this world." After his resurrection. Uh, um, uh, before and after his resurrection in John, right? Uh, my kingdom is not of this world, that sort of thing. Um, and what he's talking about there is he's talking about that that old, new, right? <clears throat> he's talking about that spiritual flesh, right? Which is generally how we think of it because of Paul and his influence on us there. Yeah, that's um, that's important. And so, you know, that helps us understand, okay, when Paul talks about world, it's not necessarily the same thing. Right. Um, okay, so context is super important, but it's not the only thing, right? Right. Um, there's all of this kind of introductory detail we can talk about. Okay, we need to understand kind of the flow, the argument, whatever we want to call it, right, of um, of the author of any given text or, or something like that. But um, really, that just kind of serves a purpose of telling us what does this mean, hmm. right? Like we come to a Bible yeah. passage, and, and really what we're coming to do is we're coming to ask the question, what is the meaning of this text? Why? Um, uh, why did God give us this, and 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 what is the specific meaning here? So, I know what you're about to say. Some people listening might know what you're about to say. So, go ahead and say it because it's totally true, right? But explain why it's true. Explain what it means, if you will. So, okay. go ahead and, and and give us meaning as a circle. <laughs> right. So, when people typically say, "Well, what does that passage mean?" Um, the more we've spent time in study, the more we've spent time in, in sort of training. Um, we tend to want to ask that question: well, "What do you mean by what does it mean?" Um, and one of the things that you and I've learned, as you just said, is that meaning is a circle. It's not as though uh, this particular passage or this particular verse is just a 
dot worth of meaning, it, it has, there's a lot of meaning imported into that uh, passage or verse or whatever it is that we're looking at. And so like when we talk about this, as I've explained probably many times, when you and I are preaching, we're, we're probably going to preach the center of the text. What is the text most emphasizing? What's the, the main emphasis of it? And there might be some subsidiary points or you know stuff that we might say that sort of spiral out toward the, the edge of the circle. They're still part of the meaning of the text, but they're not as, if I can say this about the Bible, not as important or at least not as emphasized in that particular part of the Bible. And so you know, trying to get at some of this uh, to help people think through, you know, meaning as a circle. You just think of a, a story in Acts, right? You read the book of Acts, and there's different ways of sort of thinking through meaning here. Okay, there is the, the story itself. So you think of Pentecost, chapter 2. There are the people that experienced that event that took place at Pentecost, right? Um, well, you could ask the question, okay, what did it mean there? How did the people hear it? What did it mean for those to go through that experience, right? Then you could ask the question, okay, Luke is writing to Theophilus, and Luke is sharing this story with Theophilus. So now we're, you know, 30 years later, approximately, in, in, in the 60s. And you say, okay, you know, when Luke's writing this, how does what's the meaning for Theophilus? Not that these meanings won't be connected, right? But mm, there could be... Mm-hmm. Um, connecting, but just a little bit different angles on them. And then you can ask the question, okay, now what does it mean for us today? And so all of those will be connected, not contradictory meanings, but they can have different emphases depending on what we're talking about. And I think often this is something that's missed. Those types of questions, what do we uh, often do um, when we're reading the Bible? We want to know what does it mean today? And a lot of times we'll say, you need to first think through what did it mean there? And then that's going to help mm-hmm. you figure out what mm-hmm. does it mean for today? And sometimes right. it's a complicated question to get at. Right. Yeah. I think you actually did this really well. Um, a while ago. Uh, uh, I don't even know, you know, what day it is at this point in quarantine, but um, <laughs> you preached a sermon at some point in the past, right? Where uh, you're preaching on that section where Jesus gives a parable of a leader going off uh, to secure his kingdom. Hmm. Um, and you brought up uh, the historical context. Um, the reason Jesus is telling this is because in their recent history of the original audience, there was a guy named Archelaus, right, um, hmm. who went to Caesar and tried to secure the kingdom of Palestine um, and, you know, secure all that. And, and while he was gone, there was a group of people back uh, in his kingdom who were conspiring against him, right? Mm. Um, and so Jesus uses that history to really drive at something. Mm. And so, you know, it's a little more than interesting, than, than it's more than an interesting snippet in your sermon. It's actually serving a function of meaning. Right? That's right. Helping us understand um, uh, why Jesus would say that and, and what lessons then we should draw from that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, meaning, meaning is interesting. I, I remember... When Kara, right, who gave us meaning as a circle, remember in class when he put a dot on the whiteboard mm-hmm. and said, that's not meaning. That's not, no, don't think of it that way. And they draw the circle, right? Meaning is a circle. And I, I remember I actually struggled for a little bit understanding what that meant. But um, really, there's there's just so many layers of everything that, that goes on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so talk to us about um, meaning uh, as that kind of multi-layered thing, right? You talked about what those layers were. Um, 
talk to talk to us about the interaction then between um, okay historical data Archelaus right why does that matter for me because I Archelaus isn't anything to me mm. like how am I supposed to know that first of all right <laughs> but then second of all like um, how does that help me understand kind of the broader um, uh, passages meaning of what's going on what why would Jesus interweave these sorts of things mm. together yeah, and I think this is where, since we're talking about studying the Bible, um, maybe a good way to think about it is that what we're trying to do is squeeze the fruit of the passage for as much juice as we possibly can get, right? We might read that story uh, of Jesus giving that parable. We might get the, the general gist of it. We might be able to unlock some of it. But when we see what He's doing, and you bring up the Archelaus uh, illustration, the richness and the grandness of that mm-hmm. passage mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and some angles to both um, application and meaning um, begin to surface that we had never seen before. And so I think mm-hmm. seeing it that way really does begin to unearth uh, the richness of the scriptures, the richness of what mm-hmm. in that particular instance, what Jesus is doing. And I think it helps us to relate to the people that are there. And even though that's a that's the original audience, and then we think about what it means today, you know, one of the questions we were probably going to talk about is, well, how how can it be true that you know they have these people that are there's the original audience and it means something for them, and how does it mean something for us as well today? Is because we know there's what there's this ultimate author sitting above all of this, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. God Himself and the power of the Spirit is delivering His Word to His people. And so, though there was meaning for them, though there was uh, an importance to them, it does not mean that though we weren't there, that we can't draw something from it, be comforted, be encouraged, mm-hmm. learn more about who God is, learn about who we are, because God was, though it wasn't written for us or to us, all of this is written for us, and He uses this to deliver that to our hearts that we might uh, grow in grace and all the other things we might say. Yeah, so in other words, you're saying that when we say the Bible is clear, we're not <laughs> lying and saying, oh, you have to have the Bible plus this history textbook where we've got right for you. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's a really important point to Bible study is um, there's no way we're ever going to know the full history, hmm. right? We're never going to know all of the historical details. And, and while that hurts us in terms of our, our understanding as the original audience, right? Um, there, there is that ultimate divine author that makes all of the Bible relevant, right. that makes all of the Bible uh, applicable, makes, makes all of the Bible clear and hmm. what it means to anybody and everybody who can read it. Hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's why we would say the Bible's clear. Right. So we don't need all of these big fancy commentaries, though they're helpful. We don't need the history textbook um, uh, because we have that divine author. So does that mean then that the meaning is basically the authors are just kind of listing things out? Like, uh, does one one of one of these authors kind of take over the other author? Like, I mean, I know this is essentially what I asked, right? What's the relationship between the two? But um, did God just kind of give us golden tablets? Mm. Um, and and why is that important for understanding the meaning of the Bible? Um, okay, so kind of getting into the the relationship between the divine and human author in the Bible. You know, obviously, um, men wrote these. Um, and God used them to do this. And, you know, through that, we understand that there's a human author. And so 
there's a shared human experience that we have with them that helps us to really relate to uh, what's going on, what's being shared. And at the same time, there is this uh, divine author sitting above um, all of that. So the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all a unified whole because we know there's mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. overarching um, divine author that is superintending all of this to take place. And the whole thing, uh, both the divine and human author, all of that is meant to push us to understand as God is revealing himself in the scriptures. All of it is meant to push us to know him better, especially know him through the person and work of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of Bible is about God. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think we, we can often miss that very, very simple point in meaning, right? And we talked about this last week um, when I suggested, you know, hey, write 10 things each chapter you read mm-hmm. that you learn about God, because we call it revelation. God is revealing himself, right? Um, so uh, when we when we do the deep, the deep study, we need to have that also basic fundamental principle mm-hmm. that the Bible is about God. And so the meaning of every text is going to be about God, right? Mm. Whether it's about his relationship with us, whether it's about how amazing he is versus how sinful we are, Mm. whether it's about how he's redeeming us from uh, these certain things or comforting us or or whatever. Um, uh, Every passage is about God primarily, Mm. right? All of Bible is about God primarily and what he's up to. Um, And, and as the divine author, that's, that's super important to our meaning. But um, I think, okay, context Get a study Bible, read the introductory stuff, get a commentary, right? Okay, there's resources for context, right? Meaning we, we can listen to sermons, we can write, uh, uh, buy Bible study books, we can buy commentaries, right? And, and determine the meaning. What does the commentator say it means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where I think Bible study can get really tricky <laughs> and kind of maybe even come off the rails a little bit for, mm. for some people is when it comes to application. Mm. Um, I don't know about you personally in sermons, uh, it, this is by far the most difficult thing for me yeah. um, in, in, in taking the passage and applying it to us. So how do we take the context? How do we take our understanding of the meaning of the passage and then turn around and say, okay, uh, I know God is the divine author. He's made the Bible ultimately relevant to me. Therefore, I should what? Hmm. Right. Apply the Bible to me. So give us some uh, some principles in learning how to apply the Bible. Well, first, I, I totally agree. I think most pastors agree that um, they can figure out what the passage means. We can do our exegesis. We can know the context. We can do all of that. Sometimes you get to the end of that work and you go, so what? And then that takes days of uh, prayer and uh, letting the, 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 the Scripture itself sort of wash over you until you finally get to the point of saying, okay, this is what I think we need to hear from all of this. And um, just to, I think this will be um, simple uh, as we're doing our own study. Something that people can do is they can, they can sort of ask three questions and it's, you know, know what's coming. Um, as, um, as people, as humans, we have mind, will, and affections. And so we can ask this question, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. what does this passage, what is it causing me to think about God, about Christ, about myself? What is this passage causing me to feel about God, about Christ, about myself? What is this passage calling me to do in light of 
you know, who God is, who I am, those types of things. So what you and I are going to call the think, feel, do um, of the passage. This happens in every sermon. You and I are, are hitting this from different points. Sometimes we do it implicitly. Sometimes we make it more explicit that we're doing that. And so whenever you've gotten through all of this, you can begin to ask this question. Um, you know, you look at uh, John three sixteen. okay? What should I think? What should I think about this? Well, one of the things I should believe, in other words, is that if I trust in Christ— I um, have eternal life in him. That's what I should think, mm, right? That's, right? That's kind of the emphasis there. Then I, I might say, well, what should I feel? Well, it talks about God's love for the world. And so there's a gratitude that uh, that's something that comes over you, that his love for the world, in particular, his love for you in Christ, overflows with your love for him. Maybe that's secondary to it, right? In that passage, there isn't so much of a do, but that do is a call to faith. So there's, there's different ways to think these things through. Some passages, as you and I know, will highlight what we should think. They should highlight what we should feel or what we right. should do, just depending on the right. passage we're at. But all of those elements, at the end of our study, we should be asking at that point. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember um, when we learned this, right? Uh, it was all kind of mixed into that meaning as a circle mm-hmm. lecture, right? Um, where we talked about uh, each passage affecting those three areas of us. And I, I remember um, kind of clicking, everything kind of clicked with meaning as a circle when we started thinking about think, feel, do. And I remember us, you know, putting circles right on the whiteboard and going, okay, Paul, hmm. big, big time T, hmm. right? Um, he's got his imperatives, right? So, uh, so there's some do in there. So there's kind of a medium sized do and then, and then a really small F sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, generally speaking, we know, okay, epistles, big time think, medium sized do kind of low feel, but then you go back to the Psalms, right? This is where genre can come in and help us understand Mm -hmm. how to apply the the, the Bible, you go to think the Psalms, big feel, right? Mm-hmm. Big time existential. Yeah. How do I feel? What's going on? Woe is me. Okay. God is actually really good. Okay. I'm fine now. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Whereas like, um, you know, the do may not be as clear, right? right? Um, how the Psalmist is feeling toward God affects how he thinks towards God. And it does affect what he does, but that's not always kind of the emphasis there, right? right. Um, so sometimes it's kind of like a, a size of the letter, right, um, for the, the visual ones among us. Sometimes, you know, you talked about the center of the circle versus the edge of the circle. Sometimes it's it's even almost proximity to the center. Right. right. When Paul is kind of giving his theology in Romans, right, the T is, is closer to the center, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's going to drive a bunch of other things. Of course, there's exceptions, right? Sometimes in Paul, the, the T drives him to doxology, right? right? Here's this stuff about God. This is who he is. This is what he's done for us. Oh, praise be to this great and glorious God. Mm-hmm. And he like interrupts himself. <laughs> right. And then he gets back to it, right? So you you, you can you can kind of sense those three things. And even in okay, the midst of some we... of his uh, greatest theology when he says, um, you know, Galatians 2.20, right? I have been crucified with Christ and no longer mm-hmm. live, you know, mm-hmm. but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. Now the life I live, Christ, I live in him. Mm-hmm. Who did what? Who gave himself for me? That's an emotional oomph that we should mm-hmm. feel in the midst right. of some wonderful theology that causes us to think a certain way, and then it hits us with the feel. He mm-hmm. gave himself for me. So it's it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's um it's mashed together, you know, like you're talking about, right? Yeah, and it's not as n- nice and neat as kind of we're making it sound, right? right? right. Um, we're, we're just giving these general kind of 
hopefully helpful principles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we run out of time, our listeners are just kind of like stomping their feet, right? <clears throat> they're kind of like squeezing their phone or whatever they're using to listen. And they're going, you guys have totally missed it. You've totally missed the most important part of Bible study. No, we haven't. We just saved the best for last. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Brent, how do we see Jesus? Right. I mean, this is what it's all about. Jesus gives us this principle in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, right? The Emmaus principle that everywhere in the Bible, every page, every section of scripture, right? We can see Jesus. Mm -hmm. Give us just rapid fire, some helpful stuff to tell us how we can see Jesus in every passage of the Bible. Well, Jim, that's exactly right. And, um, I think there's a story. I cannot remember who it is. I don't remember the pastor. I don't remember where it is. But I remember hearing a story of a pastor who had a plaque on his pulpit. And when he would walk up to that pulpit to um, to deliver his sermon for the day, it, it would say, Sir, we would see Jesus. And it was a wonderful reminder to him that his job is to present Christ again to the people. All of who he is right. to the people, the crucified, resurrected, ascended, and reigning king. And so I think um, that's everything. Every time you and I are preaching, um, our main goal is how do we preach Christ and all that that means. There, there's, there's many right. ways to think that through. And so that, that has to be the same question in our Bible study. You know, even in your devotional time, that's going to be a question of yours, but especially in your study, if you've come to the end and you haven't seen Jesus, you have not finished your study. If you have not right. traveled the road from that text um, to the cross, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, um, we are missing something. And in a sense, I wouldn't say all the study you've done is worthless, but you've missed so much that I want to say, start over. Mm-hmm. Let's go mm-hmm. back and reread mm-hmm. this and work through it again because we need to see him. We need to hear him. We need to have the gospel mm-hmm. again washed over us in him. Um, mm-hmm. That's where our life is. And so I'm hoping that as you and I are talking context, meaning application, mm-hmm. that yeah. we're recognizing that all of this is the same thing we do in sermons, is meant to deliver to our hearts the person and work of Christ again. So, you know, again, if we come to the end and we don't have that, um, either start over or maybe find your way there. Right, yeah. Um, I remember uh, uh, in seminary, <clears throat> the um, the class where this clicked for me, right? We read stories, particularly in the Old Testament, we're like, uh, where, where uh, am I? Right. Am mm-hmm. I David when he fights Goliath? Like, I'll go slay my own giants. Right. And that sort of stuff. Like, we've heard this stuff. Right. We can laugh about it. Really, David is Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the one who came, who represented the people of Israel, who represented the people of God and who did the work for them. Mm-hmm. Right. There's Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so I remember I remember the lecture at the seminary where this finally clicked for me. Jim, stop looking for yourself in the passage. Start looking for Jesus. Hmm. Start looking for Jesus through just um, a couple principles, right? I mean, sometimes he's just prophesied about blatantly. Right. Moses says a greater prophet is coming. Okay, it's clearly Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, other times, you know, we can see uh, uh, wherever Yahweh is, right? Well, Jesus is Yahweh. There's right. Jesus, right? Yep. We can we can see that clearly too. 
And then there's typology. Now we, we definitely don't have enough time for this, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that in a bonus episode, hopefully this week, when we kind of take a specific passage and walk through this, we can show typology clearly. But typology is just so important to me um, because it shows how David kind of resembles mm-hmm. Christ, right? And he's he is a type, an archetype. And then Jesus comes and he is the anti-type or the, the full type, right? right? The fullest, fullest version of that. He's the fullest version of Moses, right? This is the point of the book of Hebrews. Right. Jesus is better than David. He's better than Moses. He's better than the people of Israel. He's better than Abraham. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever, mm. right? But he's God and he's man, right? And so he is preeminent. He is the greatest. So, well, Jim, let me just say this too, that, you know, you've given a little plug for our little bonus episode that we're, we're going to have later this week. Um, you know, if you're listening to all of this and you're feeling, uh, this is overwhelming, there's a lot to this. Um, one of the things I would say is, uh, this takes years. This takes practice. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Don't let this mm-hmm. feel overwhelming. Dive mm-hmm. into it. Um, many people that have, 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 um, delved into the scriptures in this way, uh, sometimes have said, I've been missing so much. Um, man, I've been, I've been looking for this. I'm chewing on the Mm. word in a way that I haven't before. Um, and I'm hoping in our little bonus episode, we sort of take all the things we've sort of done here and we show you in that bonus episode, how to do it with maybe an old Testament passage and with a new Testament passage so that it's maybe not so intimidating if this is intimidating and you can kind of use that as a little bit of a model in in your own uh, study of the Bible. Yeah. And, and to that point, you know, I've been using these scripture journals, right, that we're using in the Hebrew study and that sort of stuff and, and walking some of the folks at the church through one-to-one Bible reading. Mm-hmm. And I was just with somebody the other day and, and I was like, I was just going through the passage and, and showing kind of how the method works and that sort of stuff. And, and I remember they said to me like, whoa, this is kind of like a fire hose to the face. There's just right. so much here. And we went through like maybe four verses. Now, in his defense, right, that was a sermon I had recently preached. So I had a lot of a lot of time to study, right? So it wasn't off the top of my head, but um, that was that's one thing that 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 we uh, go to seminary to get trained to do. And, mm-hmm. and seminary took us a long time, and it was difficult. And we got out, and we thought we were good at it, and we realized we're terrible at it. And so we're just taking this time, right? We're all walking that journey together. If that's I tried right. to go run a marathon right now, I would fail miserably. Right. I got to train up for it. Right. If, uh, if you want to study the Bible, well, don't give up after a day or a week or two weeks mm-hmm. or two months or even years. I mean, this stuff can take a long time. Then you go back to a passage. You're like, how did I not see this before? Right. right? So, um, this is a lifetime thing. This is a mm-hmm. thing that we are called to do for the rest of our lives. Well, Hey brother, um, we are well out of time. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your take. I'm hopeful that it, uh, it benefits our listeners. Uh, and, uh, Hey, this bonus episode, the next couple episodes, man, I'm really excited. We're going to be able to do this in person because uh, Madeline and I were, we're coming home. I cannot wait. That's going to be wonderful. Looking forward to seeing you guys. So yeah. All right, brother. Well, take care until then. And, uh, we'll see you then.